Welcome to the Mastering the Mind podcast. Today we welcome our 15th guest to the podcast. His name is Jack Hunter Spivey. Jack is a professional wheelchair table tennis player who has represented Team GB at the Rio 2016 Paralympics and will do so in this summer's Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games. Jack is currently ranked number seven in the world and is the only player ever to win the junior, senior and open British titles in the same year and competes in non-disabled table tennis at county level as well as competing with the GB para team. Some of Jack's major accomplishments have been being 10-time British champion, winning silver at Slovakia Open in 2014, winning bronze at the China Open in 2015, winning bronze in the singles event as well as silver in the team event in 2016 at the Lignano Master Open in Italy. So let's welcome Jack to the podcast. There we go. go. (laughs) How you been, mate? Not too bad, mate. How are you? Sorry, I'm a bit late. Ah, no worries, no worries. Yeah, been good, been good. I'm I'm currently in Spain, so I'm kind of chilling. Um, oh, enjoy, nice. Enjoying the holidays, but I'm back tomorrow, <laughs> so uh, back to reality. Um, oh, lovely. Yeah. I've been at Only work sp- all day. Yeah. The, U- <laughs> the UK is uh, back to uh, horrible weather. It's been yes. raining all day. <laughs> so it's just one of them things. How was, uh, how have you been? What have you been up to today? Just been training, mate. So I've been training all day today. Uh, tough one, so... Uh, this is the final phase before we start tapering down. Now going to the Olympics, so this is my hardest week of training uh, in the lead up, and then okay. the weeks after that, hopefully uh, we'll be we'll be tapering down a little bit and feeling fresh going in. So, yeah, just getting the last bit of slug out of the way, and then hopefully we can uh, reap the awards in Tokyo. How long is it till you compete? Like, when is your competing week? I think we start on the twenty fifth of August, so we fly out on the seventeenth, oh. and we should start twenty fifth. So we've got a few days out there as well. So, yeah, we should be we should be okay. How many days have you got to like uh, get used to you know uh, the time zones and etc? Yeah, I how, think how we've got seven days in the village okay. when we get there. I think five days or seven days, depending on your schedule and who's competing when. But mm. yeah, as far as I know, it's around there. So you've got a time to get to get used to the jet lag and and everything like that. So yes, yeah, it's, it's nice. I've been to Tokyo before. So it's an amazing oh, okay. place. So I went. Yeah. I played the 2019 Japanese Open. Uh, yeah, it's an absolutely incredible place. I'd love to go back again. Honestly, I'm so. Yeah, looking forward to. Yeah. Do you know what the situation is like with COVID over there? Do you think you'll be able to um, go and explore like you was before, or do you think it'll be a bit more strict? No, I think I think it's all locked down. I think we've got yeah. to get um, tested every day. You're in the village, you're at your venue. Um, it's not like a normal Paralympic Games where you might get one or two days. Like when I played in Rio, we went to go and see the Christ Redeemer and and yeah. stuff like that, which is nice, but. You know what, boys? I'm just grateful that there's a Paralympics going ahead, and I'm able to to show my skills at the highest level. We played this sport to be at the pinnacle of it, and and there's some form of that going ahead. And I'm I'm just grateful that I'm in that opportunity to go and do it. So, whatever I can and can't do, I'll just take it in my stride and hopefully just worry about what's going on the table. Yeah, no, for sure. Such a good mentality. Yeah. <laughs> Before we uh, delve into the Paralympics and all that, um, one thing we like to do with our guests is sort of take it back to the start. So we'll progress into into the Paralympics. So growing up, what was that like? Uh, how did you get into table tennis? Talk me through the early stages of your life um, and how you've progressed through. Yeah, so uh, I was born with a condition called cerebral palsy. So I was actually born blind and deaf till I was nine months old. So the doctor said I never walk, talk, do anything really. And at the nine, at the age of nine months, uh, my hearing came back. My mum was singing in the kitchen, and she noticed me turn my head. So I always told her to her, I thought well, I had no hearing at the start. But, <laughs> <laughs> but then a few weeks later, my uh, my sight developed, 
And then from there, really, I, I was fine. I was a normal, happy baby. But then I got to 18 months old and I still wasn't crawling. I wasn't sitting up on my own, anything like that. So they sent me for brain scans and it turned out I had cerebral palsy. So I think it's a big a big adjustment for my mum. Uh, she's been a rock all the way through it all and, and, and looking after me and stuff. And we had not nothing at all growing up. I'm from Anfield originally. We moved around different places in Liverpool. And at the age of 10, we moved to a place called Witness, which is just outside Liverpool. And I went to a youth club that was for like disabled and deprived kids, really. So kids who were in a very similar situation to me, who had no money, who, who have a disability and, and and everything like that. So we used to get our evening meal, like you'd get a bit of toast or something like that. And you do a bit of art and crafts and sport. And, and I found table tennis. And, and back then I was on my feet. So my cerebral palsy just affects my legs uh, currently. So... I can stand a little bit, I can walk a little bit, but but not not much at all nowadays. But back when I was younger, when I was 10, I was running around on my feet, but I didn't realise why I, why I wasn't like the other kids. Really frustrated why it was me that, that couldn't do all the things that they wanted to be. I wanted to be the next Steven Gerrard. I wanted to do everything the kids were doing, but I just couldn't do it. Mm. So when this youth club, the table tennis table was there, but I refused to use my wheelchair. I was standing up at the table. I was holding on uh, every point. I had to sit down and... I just loved playing, and there was a, a lady called Geraldine who was the like the liaison person for for the club really, and then she put me in touch with my local table tennis club, uh, Holton Table Tennis, and and we went from there. And I met a guy called Tony Edge, and um, he was sort of like my mentor all the way through really, because I turned up and Tony was a Paralympian back in the seventies, and he won a medal. And he's a lot more disabled than me; he's paralysed from from like the the chest down really. And he came up to me and said, do you want a game of table tennis, mate? And I said, oh, I'll beat you easier in a wheelchair. I'll beat you. And he went, oh, come on, let's have a game. And he beat me 22-0. I had absolutely no chance oh, of wow. beating him. <laughs> I had absolutely no chance. And he came up to me and he said, I can see you enjoy the sport, mate. And obviously you're disabled, but you need to start using your chair. It's okay to use a chair. doesn't mean you're any less of a person. doesn't mean anything like that. Just use your chair and you might have a future in this sport. So I sort of took that on board. And and through that, that whole process, really, um, I've sort of adapted to my disability and now I see it as my unique selling point. I wouldn't change it for the world. If someone offered me a tablet to, to get rid of my cerebral palsy, I wouldn't do it because it's who I am. And I'm just grateful to be in the position I'm in now. And it's been a long old journey. It's been um, even going to my first Great Britain camps at the age of 15. So I played from 10 to 15 in an able-bodied club, really playing against people that were standing up. And I got a call from the Great Britain squad who, who talent scout, yeah, for like the development team and, they basically said you need to come to Sheffield for a trial and then we'll see you from, from there. So spoke to my mum. Uh, as I said, money was ridiculously tight and she saved for weeks and weeks trying to get me to train fair to Sheffield and, and everything like that. And she sat me down on the on the Thursday and said, like, look, mate, we, we've tried our best. We've got a bad credit rating. We can't lend any more money. I literally can't do it. And she's crying her eyes out and I said, mum, it's okay. Don't worry. There'll be another opportunity. So Friday comes round and I'm, I'm coming home from school and she says, where, where are you? And I said, I'm at the train station. I'm on the way to Sheffield. So <laughs> I sat on a train and uh, I sat in the toilet for two hours. I'm not I'm not condoning that. Buy your tickets if anyone's watching. But yeah, yeah. I did. I sat in the toilet for two hours getting myself Sheffield and we managed to get to that trial and, and I got my place in the Great Britain squad. And from there, you get given like expenses. So they, they'll pay for the trains and stuff. But... In order to get expenses back, you need to have the train first to claim back. So some weeks I was jumping on the train at six in the morning. I was speaking to the conductors, telling them my stories. I'd have strangers paying for me trains. I'd get kicked off trains. I'd, do you know, all that, this sort of stuff. It, it's just one of them sort of journeys that I, I wouldn't change now, but it was definitely tough growing up, just trying to get any training possible that I could do. So um, I'm fortunate enough now to be world number seven and I've been through the mill and, 
getting that first professional contract at the age of 18 was was mental. Just just being able to earn a living. I was only getting seven and a half grand a year. But for me, that was that was enough money for me to be able to give my mum a few bob and look after my, my family. And yeah, it's an incredible feeling. So in a nutshell, there's a long-winded answer for your question. That's how I started. <laughs> oh, no, spot on. <laughs> in terms of a story, that's probably one of the most that's... inspiring stories we've heard. Um, I think yep. I, I love those like stories of struggle where you grew up and you was like jumping on trains and, <laughs> and hiding in the toilet. Like I love that uh, sort of mentality. It's have no excuses, like, yeah. you know. Uh, push past it all. I think that's super inspiring. So thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks, yeah. mate. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I, when I watched the Olympics, um, like I love the Olympics, like that kind of period because I always look at the athletes and I'm like, I respect these guys so much because yeah. we're sports fans. We know how much work is put in to yeah. reach that stage. And like when you see that emotion when they win medals and stuff like that, it's honestly like yeah, I, I have goosebumps. Like I could see it a hundred times, 100, like a thousand times. Mm. I'll always have that same feeling. So absolutely it's really cool to, to kind of listen to that story but um growing up in uh anfield don't tell me you're a liverpool fan of course i mean there's no other team oh, <laughs> we're both united fans so. oh, no. <laughs> this podcast might as well end now <laughs> i was gonna say i've never done this podcast you told me that before <laughs> thank oh, god bro. we kept that on the note yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. no but table tennis <laughs> is a sport uh that i've always loved as well um mm. Growing up uh, in school, I, I sort of first come into play with it um, in my secondary school, so like year seven to yeah. year nine, they had three tables and um, we got so into it. Uh, we used to go before school, like an hour early to school uh, to pl- get a couple hours in <laughs> and then yeah. um, break time and lunch time. It sort of took over football a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, obviously like you're unbelievable, <laughs> um, but... I always preferred the bats where there wasn't that much sponge on. I feel like I played yeah. better with them. I don't yeah. know why that was, but um, yeah, it took took a while to get used to the bats with like sponge in that. The sponge on, yeah. yeah the yeah. ones that no no sponge, you got more control on. So maybe you found it easier to get the ball on the table. But yeah, yeah. yeah, we played a lot of table tennis in school as well. I think for me, as I said, growing up, I'm really frustrated being disabled. And, and in high school, I was getting into the Great Britain development teams. I was playing in national tournaments. And then they started like people started talking and I turned everyone's opinion of me from like Jack in a wheelchair to Jack who plays table tennis. That was what, that was what it, it sort of went. Cause I went to an able-bodied school and yeah, but the table, I call it the table tennis bug. You just get bit by it and then everyone just loves it. And everyone's got some sort of experience playing table tennis, whether that's in the youth club, whether that's at school, whether that's in the league and everyone thinks the boss on it. So it's yeah, <laughs> one yeah. of those sports that, it's like the amount of taxis I get in mates and they go, oh, what do you do? So I say, I play table tennis and they go, oh, I'm great at table tennis. I'm great. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, all right, mate, are you, are you actually decent or can you just play a little bit? Do you know what I, mean? like, <laughs> I had the same sort of thing. So, um, Obviously, I played during my secondary school, but then at GCSEs, mm. I took it at GCSE PE, okay. one of my sports. Yeah. And um, I remember going to get a couple of lessons just to dial it in. Yeah. Um, and the guy who I went to completely changed my form. And I find it so hard yeah. because he's actually teaching me the fundamentals now where yeah. I was just all yeah. self-taught. Um, yeah. So, so that, doing all that, because I was a very backhand player. Um, and he was telling <laughs> me to like, play forehand. And I yeah, found that. Yeah. Super difficult so, uh, to change. Yeah. Uh, but I am actually good at table tennis. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what they all say. Yeah. I, I swear yeah. footballers are mad for it as well. Like they're always yeah. play table tennis like during the like during the little break during the day. Yeah, mm. it's like a really popular sport in football. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of videos online of a lot of footballers playing in in the you know premiership footballers. I think I've seen like Rio Ferdinand played back in the day of there's a lot of Liverpool players that I've seen playing. I've even seen uh, Djokovic playing in a spare time at Wimbledon. I think just 
I think it's such an easy sport and accessible because you can just put a table there, leave two bats. Everyone knows the rules. Everyone's got an ego, so you want to beat your mates today. Do you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite good in that sort of sense. You don't need a lot of stuff to do. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, class. Um, so when you entered that uh, GB development camp, for you, was that kind of like a pinnacle moment? Did you kind of realise you wanted to do this for the rest of like your life or like your... Mm. You wanted to start a career in table tennis, yeah. yeah. Yeah, from from the age of ten, when I was seven, I picked up that, that bath in the youth club. I remember listening on the radio to to London. It had won the bid for the Olympics and Paralympic Games back in two thousand and five, and I thought, you know what, I, I can do that. That's something I want to do. And I didn't get to London. I didn't quite get there, but I went as like a um, they call it the inspiration program. So I wasn't on the team, but I got to experience the atmosphere. I went in the village. I was sort of like uh, building me up to go to to Tokyo uh, to. Rio, sorry. So I did that sort of stuff, but I knew from that age of 10 that I wanted to make it as a career. And back then, no one was a professional table tennis player. But I told my mum that I was going to be one and I was completely obsessed with the sport. I was watching YouTube videos every day. I was keeping my mum up late at night, banging the ball against the wall. I was looking weird in school because I was doing some shadow play, practicing my technique. I was just obsessed by the whole sport and still am now. And I think it takes that sort of mentality to get there as well. But yeah, getting getting there at the age of eighteen was was mad of, of, of sitting down and saying like, look, you might be able to get a few bob from from doing this, and you can train full time. It it was crazy, and I got to move to Sheffield uh, from Liverpool. I've lived here for seven years now. It's it's been a hell of a journey. I've been really open about mental health struggles in in the uh, in the past as well. So, and that was that took its toll on me as well. And I'm getting on the other side of that as well. So, yeah, been a big journey. But from the age of ten, I just knew that I wanted to be a professional, and luckily enough, it's paying off so far. Yeah, for sure. And um, so during that London 2012 uh, experience that you had, what kind of things did you pick up from that experience? That experience for me was massive because I missed out on selection for London. Uh, and in hindsight, I wasn't ready. I was only 17. My ranking wasn't great. It was a better player than me. But it was heartbreaking to start the sports, to try and get there, to play in the home games. I was devastated. But I had the opportunity to, as I say, go into the village and see what the rooms are like and what the shops are like and be in the crowd and speak to the athletes and... That, that was incredible because it lit a fire in my belly to qualify for the next games because it was like it was like being a fish tank. Like I was looking in at the fish, but I wanted to be a fish. Do you know what I mean? Like it's one of them sort of things that I wanted, yeah, yeah. To, wanted to do. And it really did light a fire in my belly going to going to Rio and making sure that I wasn't wasn't that heartbroken because I knew what it felt. But I also knew I had a little bit of experience going into Rio, what a village looked like and, and the protocols you go through and what kit to wear on certain days and what other players do to prepare and it really did stand me in good stead and I'm thankful for the for the British Paralympic Association put me in that situation. It was invaluable. Mm. Yeah. On that initial journey, um, up until that, was there anything sort of competing with table tennis that you were, you were looking to get into in terms of like education or anything like that uh, that you, you was interested in at school or, or was it just solely table tennis, tunnel vision? Yeah, it was solely table tennis. I think I think I'm dyslexic as well. So so school, I, I didn't struggle with school. I did quite well, but I think from the age of ten, it just taken over, and I'm lucky that it paid off because I was one of them kids who just put all my eggs in one basket. And my my high school was good in the end. Uh, I was able to take a, a structured timetable towards year um, year eleven and done my GCSEs. I got ten GCSEs, but I was playing more or less full time at that rate as well. So. I did focus on school as much as possibly could. And if anyone's listening, I would definitely recommend that you do focus on school. But my mentality was get this out the way and I'll be able to play table tennis. That was, that was literally what I was thinking. I did play a little bit of basketball growing up. Uh, at 15, 16, I played a little bit of basketball. Uh, I was okay. I was never any good at basketball. I enjoyed it. But um, yeah, table tennis has always been the one that I wanted to do. Ollie's really good at basketball. 
<laughs> so is John. You should, you should go on our TikTok and look at John's highlights. <laughs> yeah, at least I opened them out. I need to look. Uh, I don't know my uh, golf highlights. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. But um, so you ended up, so you missed out on the London uh, Olympics. Yeah. So you managed to get to the Rio Olympics. So yeah. how was that? finding out that you were going to compete in your first proper Olympics. Yeah, it, honestly, it's a feeling that I'll never forget. So to qualify for, for Rio, you had to be, I think it was top 10 in the world to qualify at that stage. So I was I was doing well 2015 going into qualifying. I was playing good. I think I was sitting at number 10, looking to go up. And, and then I sort of had the, the biggest time of my life with mental health. And I had a two-week breakdown, really, of... Um, of training. So it's a two week period of my life that I don't really remember. So I remember, all I remember is going to training, uh, wearing the same clothes as the day before, crying my eyes out every session, being late, just not knowing what was happening. And, and sort of my coaches sat down at me and they'd say, oh, is your washing machine okay? And I'd say, oh, it's broke. But I'm making excuses. I just didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. And my psychologist came over and said, look, there's something something wrong. Like, what, what's the matter? And I sort of opened up to him and started crying uncontrollably and just said, I hate myself, absolutely hating myself. At, at that stage of my life, I'd got to a point where I was turning around all the mirrors in my room. I was covering over all the reflections, even to the point where the, with the shower um, screen, I was putting the curtain over it because I couldn't just face myself. I was crying just to get out the front door. I was just in a mess. I was in a dark bubble that I just couldn't get out. And growing up, my mum struggled with a lot of mental health problems. Um, she's diagnosed with bipolar, multiple personality. She's got a lot of issues. And when I was a kid, I remember going to my mum's room and she'd be crying her eyes out. And I wouldn't know why. I'd just say to my mum, what's up? And she'd go, I've just watched a sad film and stuff. And when you're that, that age, you don't really understand what's going on. And it's only when I've got older, I do understand what, what, what she was going through. But that sort of gave me like a warped sense of, of how I was feeling because I didn't know that wasn't normal, if that makes sense, because I'd grown up around that. Mm. I didn't know that wasn't normal. And I'd just signed, as I say, I was living in Sheffield full time, not making a lot of money, but making enough to get by. And I still hated myself. I mean, you could have given me a million quid. You could have given me the and world number one. And I still absolutely hated myself. And it was, it was a horrible time and my rankings dropped. Um, I think I went down to like 20 odd in a world. I was really struggling and it come down to it where the Great Britain squad had been, they've been so, so supportive through my career. And they said, look, you've got two more tournaments to qualify, sink or swim sort of thing. You go to Belgium and you go to China, you have to do well in these competitions, it's over. So I go to Belgium, I do okay. And it turns out we work, work the results out. I have to go to China and uh, get to the semi-finals to get enough points to, to play. So I get out there, do okay. I'm in the semi-finals. And I play a Chinese guy and I went 2-1 and 10-9 down. So in table tennis, you play best of five sets. Yeah. So it's uh, three sets to win, 11 points. So if I would have lost that one point, that was my career gone, my job gone, the dreams gone, the money gone, everything's gone off that one point. And um, I managed to win it and win 12-10 and go through and, and get enough points to qualify. But I just remember being in China and being in a journey with my mum and telling her I was going to be a Paralympian at that young age and a ranger. And I said to me, Mum, oh, Mum, I've made it. I've qualified. I'm, I'm a Paralympian. And she said to me, yeah, fucking you're going to cost me a fortune. And I thought, no, she didn't. <laughs> she, <laughs> she said, she started crying uncontrollably. I started crying. It was a moment that I'll never forget. Just of that accumulation of us both being through our struggles, both going through what we've been through and being able to say that I'd finally be on that plane as being a Paralympian and getting out there 
into Rio. It was the best two weeks of my life just to be that guy on the telly rather than the guy watching it, just mm. to, to be the struggles that I've been through. And I'm still going through a lot of mental health problems. I've been through three suicide attempts in my life. And uh, around Rio time was a tough time as well. But it was just something that I'd, I'll never forget being in that bubble. And my performance wasn't great in hindsight. Maybe I was like a rabbit in the headlights. I got caught up in it all maybe a little bit. But to be a Paralympian, you can never take that away from me. Win, lose or draw going on now, I'll always be a Paralympian and always achieve that. But now my, my mind's firmly set on getting medals now. Crazy. Super inspiring story, man. Um, <laughs> when you was working with a uh, psychologist, did you sort of, obviously you say you're still going through them and hard from, did you ever find the source of it? Or have you worked on any strategies to fall, sort of fall back in love with yourself? Um, yeah. Obviously, like, I've been through my own mental health struggles in terms of anxiety. Like, growing up, my yeah. mum was probably an- like quite a lot anxious, and then yeah. I feel like I got it from her. Yeah. Um, I've been in those stages where I've struggled, especially during college time. Yeah. Um, I've struggled to get out of bed most mornings. Um, yeah. I used to have to get my dad to drive me there instead of getting on the bus. Like, yeah. I, I was in a bad, bad, bad place as well. Um, so, like, what did you work on with a sports psychologist? Um, yeah, I'm very lucky because uh, with the squad, I was put in touch with a, with a psychiatrist through Booper. So I did yeah. a lot of work with my psychiatrist. I've been through a lot of uh, therapy. I've done uh, CBD, uh, CBT, sorry. I've done some um, EMDR therapy, which is light therapy, which yeah. gets rid of trauma because I've got uh, complex PTSD from things that happened in my childhood and, and stuff like that growing up. And I think a lot of the traits probably do come from my mum, a lot of the stuff um, I've inherited or, or, or stuff like that, but I've definitely learned to deal with it over the years. I've been, I think I've, I'm still in therapy now. I still, uh, Alan Johnson is my my therapist at the moment. He works with a lot of top athletes and he's been incredible uh, with my journey because he knows top level sports and he also knows that the clinical side as well. It's been, it's been amazing. So I'm still keeping on top of it daily. I do have routines that I go through. I have things to check in. So I'm still taking tablets now. Tablets has been been a massive thing for me of just keeping that get on the steady train. And okay. maybe they don't they don't uh, chemically help me. I'm I'm a lot, but I feel like every day I'm doing something to help myself. And don't get me wrong, it's not all sunshine and roses. I have days where I'm down. I have days when I'm up. But everyone does. Doesn't mean that you suffer with depression if you've had one bound down day. No. It's when that goes on for weeks. People say, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed because I'm tired. But it's when that turns into all day in bed, when that turns into crying your eyes out of the door because you can't get out. And yeah. as you say, it, it's a different feeling than, than just being tired and, and doing that. So I check in with myself constantly. I have a lot of plans of, have a shower today. Maybe I couldn't be bothered showering today. Maybe I need to look at this. Or, or, or what, what can I do to make myself happy? My girlfriend has been an absolute godsend at the time because I met Lucy Um four years ago now and at that stage of my life it was really tough and I was living on my own I'd, I'd got to a stage where I'd, I'd ruined my flat more or less I was I was living I was living feral basically I was eating pot noodles every day I, I'd, I'd messed up my living room so much I was living in, a, in one of the bedrooms and I was just in an absolute state and I, and I had plans to take my own life um on the Friday really and I went to train everyone's like oh you're, you're feeling good aren't you you're feeling great and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm looking forward to Friday. And I never told anyone why. And I just spoke to my psychologist and said, oh, yeah, yeah. Am I happy I'm going to take me on life Friday? And he went, what? Like, And I said it so blasé as in like no one else is thinking that because in my head it was just what was happening. And he sent me to A&E and I went to the, the health team and stuff like that. But I started talking to Lucy on, on the Monday or Tuesday. Or, uh, it might have been the Wednesday. And, and we started talking. We met online. 
and she was really nice. And it was just something that I, I felt. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'll hold this off for a few days. Or maybe I'll, I'll put this plan off for a few weeks, see where this goes at Lucy and what we'll see. And the rest is history. And she's been so supportive through that. And I'm lucky that I've got that that around me of, of that support network. And she helps me a lot. And it's been tough. My anxiety and my OCD, I've, I've been up and down, but I definitely feel like I'm getting over the hill with it now. And I'm just so glad I can get out and tell my story because there's thousands of people, if not millions out there, that struggle exactly the same. And I'm one of the very few athletes that came out and said, you know what, I do struggle with mental health problems. I have been through this, but I'm still one of the best players in the world. A lot of athletes come out and say, I've retired. Or oh, by the way, I did have this. But for me, I want to get out there and say, you can be the best person you absolutely can be. And you can also struggle with mental health problems. It's okay not to not to be okay to be cliche. I think it absolutely is. And that's just what I want to get out there. And, uh, I think sports performers coming out and talking about this, because a lot of the time, as, as fans, we, we look up to these people, we put them on pedestals. And yeah. then for them to come out and say they have the same struggles as everyday yeah. people, I think super important. I think for me, a lot of footballers coming out and talking about their mental health problems yeah. and basketballers, I think that's been important for me yeah. personally. Um, so, yeah, no, it's super inspiring. Thanks for sharing that one. Yeah, Thank you. No, so cheers, mate. Thank you. I, I see a lot of similarities with uh, Tyson Fury's kind of story mm. also. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like, in the sense, maybe like kind of sport, in the sense, maybe like potentially saved your, your life, you know? Absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, when I first came out in the press with mental health problems, I had a lot of messages from, and even my coach was sceptical because he said, oh, is it table tennis that puts the pressure on you? Is it table tennis that makes you feel this way? And I said, no, it's the opposite way around. Table tennis is the reason why I have to get out of bed. Table tennis is the reason why you're ringing me to see where I am. Table tennis is the reason why I, I think I might be worth something somewhere. That was the reason that gave me that sort of focus. So it was completely opposite way around of, of what people thought it was. And Tyson Fury is definitely an inspiring story. And it does, it helps me as well, just knowing that there's someone out there being so open about it. And still, he's one of the best boxers on the planet, if not the best boxer at the moment. So I think we just need to normalise it. I think in layman's terms, if you broke your arm and it was hurting you, you'd go to the hospital and you'd say, look, I've hurt my arm. If you didn't feel very well and you were crying and you don't know why, or you were really anxious, didn't want to go outside, why not go and get some help for that? Why is that... It's getting a lot better, but why is there still a stigma around it? I don't understand why it makes you weak and you don't want to tell people that you take tablets and, and all this sort of stuff. Because when I first started taking the tablets, I said to people, oh, I'm on antidepressants. And half the time people go, oh, yeah, me too. Or they go, oh, yeah, I take them. My mum takes them. My best mate yeah, takes yeah. them. And it and for me, I was like, oh, I'm not like this really weird person that's been given this magical drug. People treat it like you get given it in a back alley. But I think... There's a lot of people that, that do take it and it's normal. It's like, are you low in vitamin C? You take your tablets. If you, it's it's a normal thing to do. It's not, it's not a stigma at all. I think that's just want to get out there. And I think it is getting a lot better. It just does take people to, to go out there and, and help others to, to realize that top athletes and actors and whoever that you see on the telly are just normal people. We just happen to be very, very good at what we do. And I think that's the, the, the human aspect of it needs to get across a lot more as well. And I think a lot of people listening, they're going to be able to relate to what you're mm. saying right now, which is fantastic. And Thank this you. is the point of the pod podcast also. It's like yeah. to shed light on these issues. But I think you're right. In the UK, it is getting much better. But I think around the world, because I'm originally from Belgium, like mental yeah. health and sports psychology, etc., that's really not yeah. talked about. And, yeah. you know, it's a massive stigma. So like my girlfriend, she had um, a lot of anxiety problems and she had a tough time of like, like being understood and, and me coming from that, you know, Anglo-Saxon, British kind of yeah, culture, yeah. I, I understand it, you know. Um, yeah. I grew up in, the, in an environment where it's not stigmatized. So yeah. 
I do think it's getting better in the UK, for example, but absolutely, yeah. Hopefully, it will be this like you know, other countries can catch up. Um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Talking about that culture thing, like I remember when I first come out to like Annabelle about me suffering with anxiety. My girlfriend, she's from Spain, and like she struggled to understand why this is happening. And sometimes uh, I get anxiety because of no reason. Like I, I yeah, don't understand absolutely. why I'm anxious. Yeah. Um, and like I'm still trying to like learn like teach her about why I'm yeah. yeah why I'm feeling anxious and yeah I mean she starts uh, <laughs> she gets a bit of anxiety now and again now so maybe I put it <laughs> on to her <laughs> but shall I tell you what I find crazy that um how you talk about Lucy coming to your life at that real significant time I love yeah. how in those stories that moment like the universe sends you a yeah. sends you a thing and absolutely like like that week i'd even got to a stage where i bought some candles tea candles i wrote letters to everyone that i loved and and was going to leave him and i was made up and it it was that spark and it was it was that sort of thing that i was thinking maybe i'll just give this a little bit of a chance and she came in the first date we had was she came to my flat and I thought I'd tidied it, but it wasn't. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was on them sort of places. And she yeah. came in, and the second date she came round, and we were watching a bit of telly, and I went to the toilet, and she was cleaning in the sink. I said, what, what are you doing? Why are you cleaning up? She was like, oh, you've got mould in your sink? I was just sort of out for you. Like, and she just helped me. She could see that I, was the, I wasn't the person that I thought I was. Yeah. And that was, that was the big turning point for me, because someone else believed in me. Because I've had people, don't get me wrong, throughout my career that's believed in me wholeheartedly. But no one who's believed in me on a very personal level without table tennis. Lucy doesn't, she just does care about table tennis. But if I didn't play table tennis, I'd hope she'd still be with me. Do you know what I mean? Like she's she's with me for just for me. Yeah. So that's really nice to have someone who backs you in your corner, no matter what goes on. And it's just nice that I can go out there and hopefully reap some rewards for her as well. So oh, yeah. She sounds like a very special person. I think having that yeah. person in your corner is definitely, definitely important. I feel yeah. like I've got that person as well. So yeah. it's all good. Yeah, for sure. Um in terms of like, so you mentioned you worked with a psychologist, maybe to, you know, kind of deal with your personal problems outside the sport. Yeah. Have you worked with a psychologist to kind of maybe enhance your performance or improve yeah. as a performer, as a table tennis player? Yeah. Yeah. I, I work with a sports psychologist very, very closely. I think it's one of the parts of my game that uh, has added the most points on to me in the recent years, I think when you get to a high level, uh, especially in table tennis, when everyone's at the sim- a very similar skill and ability level, what is that next 2%, 10% that we can get to? And for me, that was the sports psychology. That was getting there for me. It's absolutely valuable. I speak to some countries and they don't have one, like, and I, or they don't use it. They, they say, oh, it's just someone who, who speaks to us and annoys me. But I speak to mine maybe two, three times a week and we go through routines. And, how, and I think that the mental side of table tennis is my strongest point. I feel like the way I, I win points, my, my technique isn't the best in the world. Getting the ball on the table is what I do best. When do I put that ball in the place? When do I come away from the table? When do I look confident? When do I, do you know what I mean? I, I feel like that sort of the game, the the the, the, um, the brain sort of side of the game is my forte and I really do enjoy that sort of psychology battle that you do have on the table. One thing I was really curious about, so I've, I've watched videos of you performing and so you know at the beginning so you guys have to warm up right so you exchange yeah. a few balls etc yeah do the mind games start there like do you send like a couple like hard yeah. balls to that to let yeah. them know you're there or kind of thing is that kind a of lot, your a approach lot of plays or? don't a lot of plays don't uh i've done it a few times there'll be a little bit of uh for me as well i, I do sorry is it gone off 
we, are we still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, so for, for, for that two minute warm up, it, it's interesting you said that actually. So, what I would try and do is I'll go, okay, do you want to do backhands first? Because then in, in his head, he's thought, okay, he's controlling this. I, yeah. I'm going to control that match and I'll go, okay, we'll switch. And I'll go, are you ready? Are you ready to play? Like, I'll be that al- not alpha, yeah. but I'm that person who goes, I'm switched, I'm ready. Are you ready? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that sort of thing of, I'm going to control the pace of this match. If you're going to win a few points in a row, I'm going to come back and use my towel. I'm going to knock the ball into the corner and take me take time. Let you think about what situation you're in because you're in a world championships. Think, can you? Are you thinking about your family back home? Are you thinking about that medal? Are you thinking about this table? Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, yeah. is that that's what I'm trying to help do here, or just and maybe that's me playing. Not, be, I, I don't think it's unsportsman, but I think this is the way I play the game of. I'm in control of what you do. And with table tennis, with the spin, it, it's high-level chess sometimes. So with the side spin that I put on the ball, the likelihood of it going somewhere else, I, I can you can calculate and everyone's doing that. But can I can I put in different shots when you're not expecting it? Can I do different spins? Can that's what I really feel like my forte is of, of trying to control the pace of the match and trying to do stuff like that. And even winning points in a row, if I win two points in a row, I'm going to be trying to get back to the table and, and do it again. If you're on a momentum swing, can I swing that momentum back? And that's something I've worked massively with my sports psychologist of, of trying to keep focused on that one task. The way I sort of look at my, my the way I play best is I'm like a dog. If you give me one instruction, I'm very good at doing it. So if you give me one tactic, I'll go and employ it. If I end up thinking about if I win this match, I've got a medal here. If I win this, then I might get this. If this happens and this happens, my head's gone. I need to focus on what I need to focus. And we call it a spotlight. So um, the analogy that we use is if you had a torch on your head and you were looking around, can you focus on one object? What's that torch looking at? And for me, yeah. that would be the tactics. That's my sole image I'm looking at is the tactics on the table. And it worked well in the qualification tournament I played a few months ago to get my spot in Tokyo of... At that time, I was thinking, if I win this match, I'm playing the Paralympic Games. If I win this match, I'm doing this. But can I keep that spotlight on what I'm trying to focus on? Yeah. I'm not getting caught up with everything else. And that's that's the biggest trouble that I have sometimes. I think a lot of, lot of sports people in life as well, in general, are just focused on one task. And what, what building blocks can you put in place in order for you to win the match and not just looking at winning the match? That makes yeah. sense. I did a whole like dissertation on that on my undergrad sort of pre-performance routines, focusing on task relevant things rather than like you say the pressure at the moment. Yeah. Do you know when you talk about uh, being in control and yeah. you talk about talking to your opponent and things, you're ready to switch. Yeah. I don't know whether it's because you're from Liverpool or what, yeah. but your mindset reminds me of um, Darren Till. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> like yeah. so much. I don't know if yeah. you've ever heard that before, but yeah, for sure, it's so similar. Like his his UFC yeah. sort of mindset. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I completely relate to Darren. I absolutely love watching Darren fight. And I think for me as well is um, I go out there to perform. So if I'm in the call room and I'm absolutely breaking one, I'm shaking, but I'm trying to go out there and that's my platform to perform. And I'm a big wrestling fan. Yeah, I know it's not real, but I'm a big wrestling fan okay. of the of the way they, they use the characters. And you might not see Glenn Jacobs in the house, but you'll see him as Kane. You'll see him go out there, no matter what's happening in the house, no matter if he's an argument as misses, whether he's nervous about fighting the Undertaker or whatever, he's going out to do his job. And I go out there and see that as my platform, as my stage. And if I can sense you're a little bit nervous, can I be more confident? Can I be like up there? Can I can I look that confident character? Can I can I do that sort of stuff? And I play this sort of confident scouser, and I'm like that in life as well. But I think it's yeah. just dialed up to eleven of just doing stuff because I'm enjoying what I'm doing and winning points. I'm enjoying it. If you hit a ball past me, I'm not going to look like 
you've hit the ball past me. I'm going to look like that was my mistake for you doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's my sort of mentality going in. And yeah, Darren's a prime example of doing that, of, of masking what are you feeling? And just yeah. being that Jack the lad going out there and just enjoying what you're doing, whether you're getting it in the face or getting the tails on this ball whack past you. I think it's very similar. Yeah, we had that with the previous guest, sort of faking it until you make it, sort of Absolutely, going out, yeah. going out Absolutely. showing your opponent that you're yeah. you're not faced by this. And no, that no. sort of intimidates yeah. them a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely important. The reason the reason why I play this sport as well is I I do enjoy training, don't get me wrong. But sometimes I absolutely hate training. <laughs> like it's horrible. It's horrible being in them gym sessions when your arms are burning and you don't want to do any more. It's horrible playing six, seven hundred shots in a row trying to get your technique. But I absolutely be in that dog in the fight. I absolutely love being in them high pressure situations, winning the big points and turning around and shouting at the crowd and celebrating. I absolutely love them feelings and I absolutely hate the feeling of losing. So I'm I'm out there to enjoy it. I'm 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 playing that because that's what I am doing. That's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling great because I've done what I've worked my backside off to do. So I think it's that sort of mentality that some players, it's interesting because I spoke to some of the players in the squad and, and it's different, different mindsets, but they feel relief when they win points. So if they're winning a point, they feel relief that they've won the points. I feel elation because I've done something to win that point. So yeah. I think that's my sort of positive mindset of trying to go out there and, and win points that, that sort of way as well. Yeah. We're on like a very topical about psychology, so I'm, I'm going to ask this question now. I started yeah, asking yeah. every guest. Um, it's all about my project. So I'm asking um, coaches at, at professional football clubs, what are the most important psychological attributes or qualities you feel makes a professional footballer, uh, makes a successful professional footballer? So I'm interested to see what you think makes a successful um, table tennis player. I think for me would be uh, clarity of mind in pressure situations. I think that's that's a, yeah. a big massive part of it is not having that cloudedness of we've okay we've talked about outcome and and trying to be not outcome focused, but you've got clarity of mind. If you've missed a bad shot, are you are you fuming at yourself? Have you got a red mist, or mm. can you actually come back from the situation and think about how are you going to actually win this next point? What are your processes to win that next point? Not just hitting quality shots, but where are them shots going? Are you varying the length on, on, on the table? Are you mixing the spin up? I think it's having that in high pressure situations of having that clarity of thought. I think that what I would say is the, one of the biggest attributes that I see the top players having as well. Is this something you picked up from Rio? Uh, like your experience of Rio? Did you try yeah. and develop that because you maybe had a bad experience of, or you weren't good at yeah. you weren't, you know? Is yeah, definitely. I've I seen the the need for it, and I've seen the need of it before in real because as a Great Britain squad, we've been very very good with the sports psychology. We're very very involved with the sports psychologist. But I seen the absolute importance of it after real because I got stage fright. I was on there. I was two 0 up, and I felt like I was looking at myself playing, and I couldn't get a ball on. I didn't know what was going on. I was looking at all the TV cameras. I was looking at my face on a ten foot screen in the wall. Mm. I absolutely. I don't want to swear, but I absolutely poo me pants like do you know what I mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have a clue what was going on like yeah. and I thought well I need I feel like I'm a good athlete I feel like I can train and I'm one of the best players in the world but I can't produce it because I'm shaking do you know what I mean like I'm yeah. shaking like a leaf out there so how can I use that and utilize it and, and now I really do see the importance and as I say maybe technically I'm not the best player in the world but I'm trying to use aspects of the sport that maybe other players don't utilize so much and oh, I'm yeah. not the best player in the world. I'm number seven, but I feel like I could be. I'm up there. I've beat some of the best players in the world. And it's just on a journey now of, of working like an absolute dog. And one thing that from Rio that is fueling me at the moment, especially in these last few weeks, is I qualify for Rio. And we've been through the story and it's lovely and all that. But 
when I found that I qualified, I had six months where I knew I was qualified and I sort of took it easy. I was eating takeaways. Mm. Maybe I missed a few training sessions and went out with my mates. And then I got to Rio, picked up my bat and said, I'm not ready for this. Don't feel ready. And that's what's been in my head for the last five years now is of not feeling like that again, because the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life of feeling like I've messed this up here. So that's fueling me now to go to Tokyo, feeling, leaving absolutely no stone unturned. Can I work my backside off to get there? Because if I win a medal or not, I've done absolutely everything I can. I'll have no regrets. And that's what's absolutely feeling me. And Will Bailey is an absolute prime example of that in the team. He, he works like an absolute dog. And speaking to him, he's such a positive person to be around because he he doesn't leave any stone unturned. Like, for instance, he finished training today at four o'clock. Two hours later, he was back in the hole doing serves. He'd gone home and thought about his serves and he couldn't get out of his head and he was back in the hole doing it. And it's that sort of mentality that makes top players, I think... You, you, yeah. you look at David Beckham was spending hours and hours on free kicks after training. You hear countless stories about top footballers staying that extra. And it's not all about hours. I, I understand that. But I think it's more that mentality of I need to do extra than what my opponent's doing. I think it's just a great environment to be around. And that's what I'm trying to emulate now going to Tokyo. Yeah, I think that's something like leaving no stone, stone unturned. I think that's something yeah. that me and John sort of applying to our studies as well. We'll... We have such massive health kickbacks from just absolutely grinding. It's something we've yeah. really got to focus on this month. Absolutely. Obviously, I dissociated you first of September, yeah. so we really need to focus on yeah. our health. But yeah, we have that mentality yeah. as well. And I think in terms of making it, that's so, such an important yeah. mindset. I yeah. think one one key for it as well that people miss out when when people try and work hard and try and do that, and you can sometimes leave your health to a side. Sometimes you can lead, and that's what I sort of, so after after Rio, I sort of worked my backside off. I was doing this, doing that, and I burnt the candle at both ends. Yeah. And I realised that if I take a few hours off to look after myself, to go and run a bath and not, not miss training and do that, that's actually working my backside off because that is very hard for me to do. Feeling well is a constant battle. Unfortunately, I've got mental health problems. They don't go away. There's no cure. So for me working on that, for taking my tablets every day, is me working my backside off. Me actually looking at myself and being accountable enough to go, okay, maybe I do need a rest day here. Yeah. That's look me looking after myself because as athletes and somebody who's very driven, doesn't have to be in sport, but in anything, you can you can always be on that path, can't you? You can always full steam ahead. Sometimes you need to be accountable enough to step back and you know, you know what, I need to watch you, a rubbish film here. I need to eat maybe a few snacks just to get my head around stuff. I need to spend time with my girlfriend because that's what would be better for me to go and smash that next training session and not turn up and put a bad session in. I think no. one thing's very important is looking after yourself as a, as a full-time job as well. I think that's one thing I would say is it's very good to work hard and say that we're working hard, but you've got to look after yourself in the same way as well. Oh, nice. 100% so true this is a constant battle I have every single week in my head like I um so obviously I'm doing this project we're doing the podcast that I'm also grafting like every day I, I do manual labor and yeah. I'm just I, I burn the candle at both ends and yeah. my mom and my girlfriend are real big people who bring me back to reality and say right yeah. you need a break you need to have yeah. take a Sunday off um, Absolutely. But I find it that that's when I start to get anxious though like yeah. because I'm not sat at my desk doing work or yeah. I'm not doing something and I find it hard to switch off so it's definitely something yeah. I need to really work on um, yeah. so sort of having that time to switch yeah. off because if you take that time to switch off the quality of your work will be so much better when you go back to it so, so much better so you can I, I don't know what your, your manual labour job is say if you're a bricklayer you could build a rubbish wall seven days a week mm. but you could build boss walls five days a week do you know what I mean it's that sort yeah. of mentality of, of doing that of taking that little bit of time for yourself and it's amazing being driven I think it's a, it's a mindset that 
that only a few people have. And it's an incredible thing to have, but to harness it in the right way is something amazing to do because you want to do something with quality. Hours and hours and hours is great, but it's the quality of how you're doing that as well. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned over the last few years. Yeah. It was like today for me. So I was a, so I start work at like, I get up at half five, I'm, I'm at work for mm. six. And then I get back about two o'clock and I think, right, I either go down to work now and yeah. it will probably not be that best quality or yeah. I had a shower, I took a quick hour Absolutely. nap and then got back to it. And the quality yeah. of work was so much better over two oh, hours massively, than yeah. grinding for four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that's you looking after yourself and that's you yeah. working hard as well. You've got to count that as working hard because it's abs- it's actually easier to just get your head down and go out and forget about showering and brushing your teeth and all that sort of stuff and doing yeah. that. It's it's hard to 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 look after yourself and be accountable enough. I think it, yeah, you've done a good job there. My issue is like so I think I I haven't found that a uh, good formula yet. Like mm. if I did what Oli did for example, I I'd be afraid that when it does come to me having to work, I'll be like, oh no, like I'm ready in bed. Like, do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So yeah. I'm more of that four hour because I'm too afraid yeah. to not um, yeah, yeah. You know, get back into it. So I need to like work on myself yeah. and figure out what the good formula is. But yeah, yeah. yeah you've, I don't know. We'll have to see. No, it's, That's sort it's of what def- I'm taking. This week, I'm sort of, because um, I'm, I'm having to work as well as do diso work mm. now. I'm having to try and find the best formula this week. It's sort of a testing week where I'm going to try different things. So tonight, I'm probably going to stay up a bit longer, do a bit more work yeah. and then have that nap tomorrow because inevitably I'm going to go yeah. sleep after work anyway. So yeah. sort of catch up on sleep then and then do work a bit longer into the night and I think I'm optimising my hours then. So but it's all a, all a learning curve and I'm trying to see yeah. what works best. It's definitely trial and error. I think there's not one way. I, I can't tell everyone to do exactly the same things I'm doing because it'll be different for everyone. And I've yeah. experimented with that as well. I've experimented at training times with how many hours I do a day. I've tried doing one hour a day. I've tried to do six hours a day. And I've found the right balance for me at the moment. Mm. And that, that is just trial and error. You've got to forgive yourself for doing that. And sometimes it won't work out. Sometimes you'll have that nap and not want to get back up again. And maybe you should work through it, but you've you've got to do that to find out. Yeah. Yeah, Mate, you, need to be a, you need to be a psychologist because yeah, I, yeah. I think this is your career after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah to be fair, I think I was I was thinking about this. I was talking to my psychologist as well. As I, I never done any higher education, but I think if I was going to do something, I would love to go into the psychology aspect of stuff and, uh, yeah. and go into it because I do find it fascinating. I don't know everything. I, I literally just scratch the surface about psychology, but I can't wait to see what, what lies ahead and how it works and the brain's such a fascinating thing. I'd, I'd absolutely love to go into that field. I don't know whether I'm clever enough to do it. That's the only the only issue. No, man, you're, <laughs> you're great at talking. Well. 100%. And maybe yeah. another way you could try and incorporate psychology, I don't know if this is something you're interested in doing, but like coaching, you know, like mm, coaches yeah. nowadays have to, like, that's my opinion, they have yeah. to have that, you know, mental side on lock, you know, like. Yeah, no, so, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think as a squad as well, we, we do really well as, as athletes, we speak to the sports psychologist very involved, but our coaches also speak to the sports psychologist and also have weekly check-ins with them because people forget that the coaches are also under immense stress and even yeah. more stress really because they're sitting in the corner hoping I do what they've told me to do. At least I'm in control of what I do. <laughs> like it's, yeah, yeah. It must be such a hard aspect of, of, of being them ups and downs because you can have two players, you can have one who just won a gold medal and one that's bombed out in the group. Mm. And how does, how does your mindset go with that? It must be such a stressful job. So I think as a team... Uh, the table tennis team is doing doing amazing in that sort of psychology aspect and Andy Hill's my psychologist uh, shout out to Andy because he's been invaluable um, yeah. going into the games as well I think he's for, for everyone I think he's there for everyone so it sounds spot on the way he's, he's 
put this mindset into you and, and yeah. these sort of strategies you put in place is mm. I think your knowledge of psychology is unbelievable um, I, I think <laughs> in terms you. of a guest in, in talking this has probably been my favorite podcast today no, thank talking you. about yeah. psychology stuff it's been mm. unbelievable thanks yeah. very much boys yeah. should we yeah. move on to the questions all well uh, one thing I want to ask um, oh, yeah, yeah. so like going to compete at Tokyo yeah. how do you how are you feeling about these these games yeah I I feel great. Um, I'm saying that because I know what it felt like before Rio when I was trying to cram hours in because I knew I wasn't doing enough and I put a bit of weight on and I had too many donuts. But now I feel like, especially during the lockdown as well, I, I, I really valued what I do. Because with the lockdown, there was a two-week period, just like everyone, where we thought, oh, what's this virus that's going on in China? I've got two weeks off training, happy days. Do you know what I mean? Like, And that two weeks turned to three weeks and four weeks and five weeks yeah. and... It was a conversation with my brother. He basically just said, look, it's a new normal. You get on with it or you don't. So I thought, how, how can I train at home? So I ended up doing sit-ups in the house. I ended up doing shadow play, Zoom calls and everything we could do. And I got a table in my house as well. So I live in a tiny flat in Sheffield. The table's literally the size of my living room. So I was eating my dinner off a table tennis table. I was watching yeah. the TV at the end of it. Do you know what I mean? Like that, doing my S&C underneath it. It was just, and then I went, when I went back into the training facilities that we've got in Sheffield, and they're absolutely world-class. I valued it so much more. and got my head down so much more because I was taking it for granted. And now I know where it's like not to have it. Yeah. Then I, I feel like going into this games, I'm, I'm feeling the best prepared I've, I've absolutely um, I've been in my life. Playing the qualification tournament and having the heartbreak of not qualifying and having to play this tournament and winning that competition. It actually stood me in good stead and it's positive because of the pandemic, because of the tournaments. I'm the only player in that Class 5 event that's played that extra tournament. No one else has played a competition in 18 months, but I played one three months ago. So I'm looking at that as that is an, that's a massive stepping stone and a massive advantage for me. And I'm working like a dog in training. So I feel like I'm a different athlete than going in and I can be proud of myself, uh, win, lose or draw, medal or no medal. I've done everything I possibly can and hopefully it works out on the day and I can get that medal. But I'm feeling confident going in. I'm just grateful that there is a Paralympics I can go out and showcase that at. You're hyping me up and I'm not even competing. <laughs> uh, I'm rinsing for you. Yeah, it's same. You We're going to bring be... it home. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Uh, um, but yeah, we, um, so with every guest, we always ask our audience if they've got any questions for you. Um, we've picked out the best ones and uh, me and John just go one for one asking the questions. Yep. Um, so the first one is, how do you best prepare for a competition? Uh, preparing for me is is a difficult one. I think uh, going into the last few competitions, I've had to get my bag and stuff ready, which is really important for me because I've struggled with OCD throughout my life. And it's not so much bad. I don't have so much of a routine of folding clothes in a certain way, but I have to feel like I've prepared and got that mindset going onto the flight. So I need to go through and have a checklist of how many shorts and T-shirts and socks and undies and all that I've gone through. I've not just bunged a washing load in and bunged it in my bag like I used to. And it's having that sort of mindset flip for me going into the competition. In terms of being out there, um, it's going through routines. As you, as you just said, uh, visualisation, a big thing that I'm doing recently in, in the corners and, and in, the, in the call rooms is, is doing that to prepare and not taking any play for granted. If I'm playing the world number 40 or the world number one, I'm doing exactly the same routine to prepare for that tournament. It doesn't matter the standard competition, whether that's the national championships or, or the world championships, of just preparing that way. And as long as I feel like I'm going into that of doing something to actively help myself in the match. I think I'm good to go. So yeah, in terms of preparing uh, that, that's the biggest thing that I do is just getting my bag ready a few days before and 
sort of sw- switching my mindset and Lucy will tell you I'm, I may be a little bit of a different person a bit more serious a few days going in, out to a tournament because I am switching on to that sort of table tennis jack mode I'm not just jacking the house laugh- laughing and joking and all that sort of stuff I'm trying to get my head round and I'll, I'll end up sitting on the toilet thinking about playing a player about where to put the ball and I'll come up to Lucy and say oh, do you know where do you know Palakutum Serbia maybe it's better for a player to his forehand more and she's looking at me like she's not got a clue what I'm talking about but I'm just in that sort of mindset of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. just going to the tournament so I best prepare by doing that a few days out and going on a plane ready to play I swear I swear there's someone else that we interviewed that did that as well um, I don't know if you remember or it's like they were like figuring out how their opponent was I don't know who it was I don't know. I might come yeah, back yeah. to you. I guess <laughs> um, okay, so the second question was, what are your hobbies outside of table tennis? Uh, outside of table tennis, I'm a big Liverpool FC fan. Um, there's only two teams in Liverpool. There's Liverpool and Liverpool reserves. There's only two teams. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I watch the Reds day in, day out uh, as much as I can. I'm a big wrestling fan. So me and the missus, we travel up and down the country watching British wrestling shows. Um, yeah, we, we love it. It's like watching EastEnders just at the uh, hit, hit, hit themselves with chairs and stuff. It's more or less the same. So, yeah, yeah. yeah we really enjoy doing that. Um, listening to a lot of music. I'm, I'm big into music and, and stuff like that. And yeah, just as much free time as I get. I play a bit of PlayStation. I'm awful on it, but I quite like, enjoy playing like Call of Duty and FIFA and stuff like that. I'm just normal lad. I just play a bit of tables on this, really. That's, that's just what I yeah. do. I'm a big comedy fan, uh, stand up comedy. I've got a bucket okay. list, and on, the, on my bucket list, I would. Um, I'm going to do a stand-up routine once just to, okay. just to say I've done it so that's on yeah. the list somewhere down the line you never know when but oh, we'll, uh, we'll get that do done that. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. absolutely bricked in there oh um, it scares the hell out of me mate but I just want yeah. to do it there's, there's two main things on bucket list and it's going to sound really odd but it's to do a stand-up routine and it's to busk in a random city in the world somewhere to earn enough money to get me dinner and then go home that's literally and I can't play an instrument I can't play an instrument remotely I just yeah. I'm going to get some pots and pans whack them about a bit I might oh, get a few wow. sympathy for being in a wheelchair. Get enough yeah. money for Just go home and do it. That's just two That's things I'll do in my life. Yeah. What, do you, um, what do you think to Liverpool going into this season? I mean, if we get big Van Dijk back at the back, we've got a, uh, we've got a big chance. It's tough in the City and United and, and seeing how they're going on. And I did a, I did a podcast, the Anfield Rap, yesterday and we were talking about that and it's stressful being a Liverpool fan. It was stressful like when I was younger because we weren't ready very much. But now... You can see the team is so good so and have the ability, but can't produce it. I think no fans in the, in the stadium it was horrible for yeah. Liverpool because Am- Anfield is an absolute fortress. When you go to Anfield, and I've, I've been to a few games, you walk in as a fan, you, you, your hairs in the back of your neck are tingling and God knows what would be like if you the opponents and people are booing at you. Yeah. So I think once you take that away, it, it was like a training match. And once if we get the crowds back and and get the players that we want and sign a few big names, I think we could definitely be up there again. Hopefully bring more titles than United do. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I think uh, you do need to uh, a few players. bring in a few players. Absolutely. Not yeah. like his big boys bringing in Sancho and Varane. Yeah, you know? I, I seen that this morning. I was like, oh no, yeah, another yeah. good signing. Oh man, I, this is probably the most excited I've ever been for a season. I think I it's going to be so yeah. tight. Um, yeah. Obviously City, Liverpool, I think Chelsea yeah. are going to be big contenders as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it's going to no, be a season. It'll be incredible. I think the, the Premier League standards just getting going up and up, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. a pleasure to watch. Even you look at your middle ground teams like your Stokes and your Burnley, it's still good quality football. It's still good matches. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it's amazing to watch, really. I think, it, yeah, football's boss. Love it. Nice. <laughs> uh, and then the third one is, um, what is your next hairstyle going to be? Ooh, good question. So, um, 
I met Lucy when I didn't have a mohawk, and she basically said to me, "If you get a mohawk again, I'll leave you." So uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Oh the mo- no! We won't <laughs> I see think that. the mohawks out, out of the question. Um, oh. I did bleach it; that went wrong. So <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see something fairly standard. Maybe we might see a few lines, or yeah, we okay. might do something a little bit crazy. But um, we'll see. It's governed on what Lucy wants to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I wear the trousers, but she picks them. That's what that's what I would say. So uh, <laughs> nice. yeah, I think something fairly bog standard. But we'll you never know. You never know. It depends if we have another breakdown or not. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever not think about doing the old lockdown trim? Me and John both. Uh, yeah, I. I skinned it off in, yeah. in lockdown. I, I went full, but I looked ill. That was the only thing. Yeah, I, yeah. Looked, we, we all did. Was, yeah. <laughs> I looked like I was about to set up a Just Giving page. That's what I look like. So <laughs> I don't uh, think I'll be doing that again. It was it was good to not go to the barbers, but I feel like I'd just rather have long hair. Like it'd yeah, be yeah. one of them. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I was I was so fun. I, I did mine with like beard trimmers and it just took yeah. As soon as I started, I regret it instantly because it yeah. took about an hour to get it all off. Yeah, well, Lucy said to me, so do you want a number three? And I was like, no, zero, get it off. Yeah, and I regretted yeah. it as soon as I did it. Like. Oh, yeah. oh, My sister did it and I had like holes all in the back. Like, it was <laughs> so bad. That's something I remember lockdown forever. Like, everyone shaved it um, But yeah, no, in terms of all the questions, that's every question we had for you. Normally at the end of the um, episode, we give you a chance to shout anything out that you've got going on. All your socials and that will be in the description. So is yeah. there anything else you want to shout out or? Yeah, just, just shout out my socials, Jack HSTT um, on Instagram and, and, and Twitter, Jack and Spivey on Facebook and come and follow me. Give us a shout and uh, yeah. yeah, come and see what antics to get up to soon. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. de- definitely rooting for you. Uh, thanks, so, boys. Thanks uh, so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. It's probably been one of the best chats we've had uh, on the podcast. I think it's going to be Thank a, you. on real episode to release. Yeah. I can't wait. Thank you very much, boys. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, if you could please share to your friends or someone you feel will benefit from it. Most importantly, like, subscribe, comment down below any questions you had or any guests you want us to get on in the future. But other than that, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you in the next one.